This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. What's good, fam? It's your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D in the ED, and we have another special episode of Farm So Hard, and today we're continuing the beef. This is going to be part two of the beef with bicarb, and today we're going to focus on the use of sodium bicarbonate for the management of patients of diabetic ketoacidosis. All right, so the first part of this was looking at the use of sodium bicarbonate for the management of hyperkalemia. And overall, we found that using the bolus for the reduction of potassium was probably trash, outdated, and needs to be looked at again. But using that same bolus for hyperkalemia-induced EKG changes may actually be pretty beneficial with all the hate to the bicarb and all the love to the sodium channel overcoming properties of hypertonic sodium bicarb. So guys, two announcements before we jump into the episode. Go and check out our new, just amazing Pharmacy Friday Pearls website. Just go ahead and type in pharmacy-pearls.com or you can also type in pharmacyfriday.com. It is sending you to that same site. Go ahead and get you an an account because we have great stuff that can be planned for you guys later in the year. And lastly, I have a special announcement. I'm going to mention it here and now. I got something coming for you guys at the end of the year. It may be one of the biggest things that's been done in emergency medicine pharmacy. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there to be on the lookout. I have something for my residents, my students, my, my, my docs, my nurses, and of course, my EM pharmacist. So I got some out for you guys. We're going to really take it brain to vein from that standpoint. So guys, it's Tuesday morning. I'm walking to the ED. One of my docs stopped me and said, hey, I have a patient that looks pretty crappy and they have DKA. I'm going to throw some orders in. Go ahead and let me know if you have any opinions on them. And of course, I see calcium, I see insulin, and I see dextrose. Everything's fine. I'm looking at the labs. I see a gap of 20, blood sugar of like 900, a gas of 7.1. Patient looks pretty dry, but hemodynamically stable, and a potassium of like 5.8. So all those things pan out for a DKA patient. They have a history, missed their insulin, everything's panned out. So we go ahead and do all those things and then the admitting team comes down and they're upset with my doc. They say, hey, why didn't you order bicarb? And I'm sitting there scratching my head, asking, what the hell is going on here? How does this pan out? And that's why I had a beef with bicarb when it comes to DKA. So let's dive a little bit more into my thoughts on it. So when looking at the pathophysiology of acidosis and DKA, there's a few things that's going to go on here. And I'll simplify it because I'm pretty sure some endo doc out there can explain it much better. But what's ultimately happening, you have an unfavorable combination of insulin resistance and counter-regulatory hormones leading to release of free fatty acids from the adipose tissue via lipolysis and a decreased lipogenesis, 
which ultimately leads in ketogenesis and the production of beta-hydroxybutyrate and ketoacetone. And with all of that, you're going to have overproduction of the strong keto acids leading to excessive hydrogen ion production upon dissociation and overwhelming the body's buffering capacity, depleting bicarbonate stores, and ultimately generating anion gap metabolic acidosis. Of course, this leads to your patient being in a state where they have extremely high blood sugars that acts as a diuretic that depletes the body's volume and just overall badness. So what other therapies should we use in DKA if we're not going to use bicarb? And I think the key thing is to think of the correction of acidosis in DKA. It's going to be achieved by correcting the underlying pathophysiology with fluid resuscitation and insulin. Insulin is super cool because it actually works in all of the ways that DKA is generated and by impacting those areas in DKA. So when looking at the adipose tissue, it's going to lead to an increase in glucose entry into there. It's also going to increase triglycerides deposition. When you go to the liver, it's going to actually decrease ketogenesis just by the way that it works because the problem is going to be an absence of insulin in some of those pathways that we can get more nerdy into, but just to save you time. Just know that it decreases ketogenesis at the site. It also is going to increase lipid synthesis within the liver as well. So we're going to get all these things that's going to be making ketones. We're going to stop ketone production. We're going to stop all of these products that lead into ketone production. And we're just going to stop that just by the way that insulin work. And then you think about the muscle. It's going to increase glucose entry there. It's going to increase glycogen synthesis. And it's going to actually increase ketone uptake into the muscles. So it's going to really work really well at hitting all of those areas. If that's the case, how does bicarb supposed to work and what is the textbook going to say? Well, if you look at the textbook, the rationale behind all of this is that the correction of acidosis by providing a bicarbonate therapy replaces the bicarbonate is going to be lost in the renal and GI tract. And that's going to decrease insulin resistance and increase catecholamine receptor activity through this decreasing feedback mechanism. And it makes sense if you treat severe acidemia, which causes catecholamine resistance and myocardial depression, you fix that very sick patient. But I think we all know that that may not be the case. And it's much more complicated than that. And you guys can argue with me about it. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. We can go back and forth. I don't care. But just realize that when you actually look at the data on how bicarb is going to help you in DKA, it seems to paint a different picture. So that's going to really get us into my beef with bicarb. There's a few things that like really ground my gears with it and the way that we think it's a life-saving therapy in this particular situation. Different sources are going to have different values for cutoff or pH, which require treatment. And other sources actually advise against bicarb use completely. And there's no really big consensus. Uh, we, we looked at it before. It's like, oh, if the pH is less than 7.2, get bicarb. Then data came out and it's like, oh, that's trash. They said, oh, if it's less than 7. Then some data came out and realized that it was trash there. And then they said, oh, less than 6.9. So just based off expert opinion, we continue to want to do these things. And it's based off of nothing. And then I think of if it doesn't work, that's one thing. But does it hurt? And that's my other thing. It's like, it can't hurt. It's just bicarb. We do it all the time. But when you look at some of these studies, it paints a different picture. Or of course, you're going to increase the, the risk of hypokalemia. Even though it may not be super great for that, you're going to increase the risk of that, especially with a drip. You're going to induce this paradoxical central nervous system acidosis. There's actually studies that looked at patients that got bicarb and their the CFF and how much CO2 was in there and actually saw an increase in CO2 and a decrease in their 
their asset levels. Then to add on to all of that, there are some studies out there looking at the fact that you actually prolong keto ion metabolism. So isn't that the whole purpose of using bicarb for DKA? It's supposed to help out with ketones. It doesn't do that. So another thing to consider, your patients in DKA are already maximally ventilating CO2 and are not able to increase this rate. And you, I know a lot of my palm crit guys will tell you, hey, Jimmy, you should never intubate a DKA air. You know, it's challenging for these people to have high CO2 levels because the vent is not the greatest thing. And they're already at this position where they're kicking out a lot of CO2 with high respiration. So you're not going to get much of a change there. But wait, there's more. Bicarb actually increases lactate production. But how? Some smart people actually put this together and it's not me. So you can credit your hate with this part of the episode to them. So bicarb increased the activity of this rate limiting enzyme called phosphofructokinase, which ultimately leads to a decrease in oxygen delivery to the tissue. So all bad things across the board. And to add on to all of that from a simple logistic and teaching standpoint, it distracts you from the other therapies. Like do the things that work. It's pretty simple. DKA is one of those things that is easy to fix, but even easier to mess up. So that's going to be my part of why I have a beef and bicarb in this section. But before I even talk anymore, let's look at the data. Let's have a look at that. All right, guys. So the first thing I want to look at is this chewing colleagues, bicarb and diabetic ketoacidosis systematic review that was published in Annals of Intensive Care in 2011. And these wonderful people did a great job. Like when you look at this thing, it really breaks things down. And I'm going to put some of the charts in the show note because it's too good to miss. So the first thing they looked at was studies that resolved around the resolution of acidosis and ketosis with bicarb therapy and DKA. And they went back and they got the first three randomized trials and we're going to just look at those briefly. The first one was done by Haley and colleagues. It only had 32 people. And what they did was they looked at people that had a pH of around 6, 8. And they looked at, for the first hour, giving everyone just a liter of isotonic saline. And then at that second hour, one group got isotonic saline and the other group got a liter of bicarb. And then at hour three, they gave those people isotonic saline again. So what they found was that at hour two, they did see higher pH levels and they did see higher bicarbonate levels, but they did see a slower decline in blood ketone in the first hour only in the bicarbonate group. So I thought that was very interesting. So it was kind of a plus and a minus for me for that one. And then moving on to the second study that they looked at uh, done by Morris and colleagues in 86, they looked at about 20 people and the pH was around seven and they gave close to you know, depending on the pH, three amps to two amps. And they just they based everything off of the initial pH level. And they gave their bicarb, their hypertonic bicarb over 30 minutes, unlike what most people are doing. And what they found, no difference in the rate of change in pH, bicarb, ketones, or the time to reach a pH of 7.3. So basically the entire reason of using bicarb, they didn't show any benefit there. In the last study that they looked at, I only had about 20 people, so I'm very skeptical, but it was a double-blind, randomized controlled trial done by Gambia and colleagues down in 91. And what they looked at was patients that had a pH around 7, and it looked like they used that hypertonic bicarb that I, that I just love so much. And they did find a higher pH at 2 hours. They did find a higher bicarb as well, 
But when we looked at different ranges, because it was looking at this at four hours, it didn't find a difference. At six hours, it didn't find a difference. And at every other time interval, that was beyond two hours up into 24. So you fix some numbers and you were acute for two hours and they didn't do anything else when regarding pH or bicarb levels. So that was your three big trials that looked at this. They were all spanning the, the late 80s to 90s. And we really didn't find anything else after that because most people just realized the truth. They had a coming to Jesus moment. They realized that bicarb was trash. They tried to give it in a drip. They tried to give it hypertonic. They tried all these different ways to make bicarb work. And for the most part, it made numbers look cute for a second. And then it did nothing else. Even when you look at some of the observational studies that looked at bicarb and DKA, no matter what pH level you looked at, no matter what you what outcome you looked at, looking at the actual ketone levels, looking at pH, looking at the, the, the change in pH, all of it showed the same thing. It showed no difference or that bicarb actually decreased the decline in ketone levels. So overall, when it comes to acidosis, when it comes to our, our ketosis, bicarb for me gets a, a bit stinking F when it comes to evidence. In this review, went on to look at insulin sensitivity and glycemic control. And I can make this real simple for you guys. When you looked at the randomized controlled trials that we talked about before, no difference in glucose decline at two hours, no difference in time of glucose to reach 250, no difference in glucose levels throughout 24 hours, no difference in total insulin use to reduce glucose to the goal. Again, all the trials that we looked at initially, all the studies that was observational and randomized controlled, none of them showed that bicarb did anything for glucose. It did anything for your insulin requirements. So it has no utility in the diabetic part. It has no utility in the keto acidosis part. So I just don't understand where, where we're at with this. It is, again, it's just showing that this one was so easy. I don't even have to look at the trials. Go go look at the show notes, guys. I can just show you the picture. No matter how you gave it, it just didn't do the job. So I thought this was another thing that bicarb gets a big stinking F for me. But the next thing they looked at was looking at potassium balance and supplementation. And across the board, it either had no major change in, in serum potassium across the board, or what you saw was that lower potassium at 24 hours in the bicarb group, depending on which study you looked at. And I, I encourage you guys to go and look at uh, the show notes to just see this picture because I really made it simple. I just put like a yellow for it did nothing. I put a red for it actually decreased the potassium. And when you're thinking about this, when you're actually titrating, and I don't know how many pharmacists are out there at the bedside doing this. Dude, you don't want to be worried about potassium when you're trying to get this DKA taken care of. Again, DKA is so easy to treat, but so easy to mess up. Why are we fooling around by a car and it's not helping our, our potassium levels? Again, I, I, t I tell you guys all the time what I think bicarb is good for, the sodium part. And if you don't have any EKG changes that's due to hyperkalemia, I don't know what it's doing for us. And I think it's distracting us across the board. And I'm going to go ahead and put the nail in the coffin when it comes to this. When we talk about safety, I've already mentioned the issues with potassium. And then let's talk about our kids. Let's talk about cerebedema in kids. In this study that was done by Glasser and colleagues, it was a multi-center case, case control study and identified 61 children with cerebedema. Bicarbonate therapy was the only treatment variable associated with greater risk of cerebrodema after comparing with matched cohorts. And the relative risk was 4.2. Dude, what else do we need to talk about? It doesn't work. It can it can cause cerebrodema in kids. Like, I don't get the love story. 
So that's just that one systematic review that did it for me. And I hear some people say, well, well, Jimmy, you know, there was another study that was out there, you know, that may have showed a benefit in people with lower pHs. And then I looked at this study that was done by by Dunning and colleagues that looked at bicarb and severely acidotic DK patients that was published in Annals of Pharmacotherapy in 2013. They looked at the 86 patients with DK and what did they find? No difference in time to resolution of acidemia. No difference in time to hospital discharge. Time on insulin. Potassium requirements in the first 24 hours. They even looked at a subgroup analysis, a patient that had a pH of less than 6.9 because the guidelines change. And what do they find? No statistical significant difference in time to resolution acidemia. So like no matter what pH you look at, there's no studies that show a benefit of bicarb and DKA no matter what you look at. And people can just say, well, I'm, you know, it's uh, my my opinion and all this other crap. That's cool, fam. Just say this is your opinion. Don't say that you have studies that support the use of bicarb and DKA. It doesn't make sense from a mechanism standpoint. It doesn't make sense from a, a, a clinical standpoint. And the data doesn't support it. And we can try to go back to the 60s, the 80s, the 90s. No matter where you look, the data says the same thing. All right, fam. So I just really spent the majority of the episode going through some of the data. It was just that one systematic review and that other study that looked at that. You can definitely check the show notes out just to see some of the trials that I was talking about. And I'm going to go back and tell you what I think is good for. You know, this is not about hating on one thing and not understanding how to utilize it in the correct patient. If you have a DK patient that comes in and their, their pH is low and their K is like seven and they have EKG changes, you want to give them, you know, a little bicarb. That that's that's cool. It's actually going to do something, and it's actually going to be useful for something. And we have data showing that it actually helps with EKG changes. I'm a big firm believer of I have a problem with bicarb. I have a beef with bicarb. This series is based on that. The sodium part makes perfect sense. And go back to the first episode. Uh, go look at Tony Brew's tweetatorial on this. It makes perfect sense, fam. It's going to overcome the, that sodium channel blockade that hyperkalemia is causing and actually help you stabilize that credit membrane a little better. So go ahead and give it for that. And that's my utility for it. There's some stuff out there about non-anion gap acidosis when you're just thinking about, you know, fundamentally, you're going to reflect a bicarbonate deficiency. And those people, it makes sense. You know, that's not your traditional DK patient. And without therapy, it can take a while for the patient's kidney to generate bicarbonate and correct non-anion gap acidosis. And that may be the two areas for me. So EKG changes and non-anion gap acidosis. Those are the two spots where I think bicarb can be used. But for the traditional run-of-the-mill DK that we see, you know, I just don't think it really has a utility. So that's really it. I'm going to go ahead and close up there. We got one more on the use of bicarb and cardiac arrest. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to drop that in a couple weeks. But I want to get this out before match day because I want to give you guys something to listen to while you're waiting to get that positive email. So um, check out the show notes, ton of stuff on there. As always, I appreciate you guys for listening to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Jim Pruitt, aka FarmD and the ED. Check me out on Twitter. Definitely go and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using. So check us out at farmsoheart.com to get the show notes. To be on the lookout on Twitter, I think I'm going to go ahead and drop our amazing surprise after match day. And guys, you know how we end the show. Just know, you don't have to be a pharmacist. 
You don't have to work in an ED. You don't have to round in an ICU every day. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. We need to get out of here.